everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 131 of a podcast that comes to you with all of the superhero adventures of the Marvel comic book universe from the beginning. Beginning with the Fantastic Four number one and going all the way up to the merry month of August 1966. It's hot outside. Kids are sweating all over their (laughs) comic book king size specials. Well, just one anyway. Well, we got a couple today. Are they both called? Oh, they are both called king size, aren't they? Yep. I don't know why I called them annual in my file, but that doesn't make sense. It's all right. Yeah, two. So we have Amazing Spider-Man King Size Special number three, Fantastic Four King Size number four, Tales to Astonish 85, and Thor 133. Coming at you today in this episode. Which is weird because I think the first one was not called King Size, was it? The Sergeant Fury um, said King Size Special on the cover. Oh, but Spider-Man... Not well, Spider-Man, Sergeant Fury. We're not doing Sergeant Fury. No. Right? Which first one were you talking about? Amazing Spider-Man. I thought it was just called an annual initially. No, then, it says King Size on the front. Oh. Well, what do I know? I don't know. <clears throat> what do you know? Not that. All right. Um, this is the one where Spidey gets invited to join the Avengers. Which uh, Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, later <laughs> is going to become like a whole thing whenever... Bendis redoes the Avengers. And of course, he's a reserve Avenger before that. But this is the first time that the superhero community said, yay, Spider-Man. Let's do that. Yeah. And uh, we'll see how it goes. We got Spidey fighting the Hulk with the Avengers on the cover. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, let's open this bad boy up. You know, this has production credits on the inside front cover because it has stories in it. So mm-hmm. we don't usually read those, but I thought I'd go ahead and toss them out at you. The third thrill-packed collection of our Wooly Web Slinger's most marvelous masterpieces, proudly presented by Stanley Pandanonium Presider, Saul Brodsky, production planner. Saul's one of those big behind-the-scenes names. He's not creative. He's all, you know, technical and hands-on stuff, but he's a big mover at Marvel. Roy Thomas, panel proofreader. Marie Severin, pages paster-upper. Stan G., Picture Pigmenter, Flo Steinberg, Paintbrush Producer, and Irving Forbush, Problem Provider. So um, there's some cool art of Spider-Man with all the heads of the Avengers floating around, and then some stuff from the reprints of his Dr. Octopus story. And then we get into the amazing Spider-Man to become an Avenger, guest starring the Incredible Hulk. Yay! It's an extraordinary executive session of the Mighty Avengers, where we find um, a credits box... How's this for a zingy combo? Script writing by Smile and Stan Lee. Layouts by Jazzy Johnny Ramita. Penciling by Dashin Donnie Heck. Inking by Mirthful Mickey DeMeo. And lettering by Adorable Artie Simic. Yeah, before we get into this, remember how mm-hmm. it said that Ramita couldn't do Daredevil because he was too busy doing the Spider-Man annual? Uh-huh. He just did layouts, man. Yeah. I don't know how long did, that uh, takes, but... He also did Spider-Man that month, too, though. Yeah. Or this month. I guess picked out the monthly Spider-Man book. I don't know. I kind of think like layouts in some way might be the hardest part because that's where all the decision making happens, right? I guess it's probably finishing touches. Yeah. But anyways, there's a poster of Spider-Man on the wall that somebody got from their MMMS tube and they're Mm -hmm. just like staring at it. And the Captain America's like, we've stared at this Spider-Man poster long enough. 
Let's talk about him joining the Avengers. And Hawkeye says, yay. And Thor says, this would be pretty cool. Iron Man's like, yeah, we don't really know him that well. And Goliath says, we should give him a chance. And the Wasp says, wasps have a natural aversion to spiders. (laughs) But I guess. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well, we don't really know anything about him. Let's see. Um, Daredevil. Let's call Daredevil and see what he does about Spider-Man. So Daredevil gets this uh, call over his blind sense. And um, they're like, hey, Daredevil. He's like, yeah, Avengers. He's like, we have a question for you. He says, yeah, Avengers. And they're like, we have a really important decision to make. Yeah, Avengers. About, yeah, Spider-Man. Oh. <laughs> So they asked her about Spider-Man. Daredevil was like, yeah, we've had two stories. He's pretty cool. So he leaves and they're like, okay, I guess we should go and invite him and then test him for membership. Yeah, we should have a test. Let's do the test. So Thor goes out and Hawkeye goes out and Iron Man goes out and Goliath and the Wasp go out. And Spider-Man is just Spider-Manning around. He runs into Thor and Thor's like, you shall join the Avengers or be tested for leadership. And Spider-Man's like, I, uh, I, okay, do I, um, do I want to do that? And Thor's like, how dare you? Don't you understand how amazing the Avengers are? You have 24 hours to think about it. So I was like, okay. So he goes home. He's like, huh, do I want to be on a superhero team? What happened to Aunt May? Would she come live in the tower with me or what? And um, Aunt May's like, oh, Dr. Bromwell wants me to have some medicine. Will you go to the go to the pharmacy and pick up this medicine for me? He's like, okay, I'll hop on my brand new motorcycle that I got over in the monthly comic and drive over to the pharmacy and they get the medicine. You know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go do that Avenger thing. It's going to be great. So he goes to the Avengers mansion and everyone's like, hey, Spider-Man, welcome to the Avengers. This is going to be great. He's like, okay. And they're like, all right, so... Here's what we're going to do. We don't actually know if we want you on the team, so we are going to have to do a test. Spider-Man's like, okay, who do I fight? And they're like, no, no, we don't, we don't know what the test is going to be yet. So um, could you go like wait in the bathroom while we, while we figure it out? Spider-Man's like, "Um, I didn't come to just like sit around here. Y'all invited me. And he gets sort of upset and they're like, yo, Spider-Man, calm down. And Spider-Man's like, Maybe the test is I really am supposed to fight them. Maybe I should fight them right now. So he starts jumping at people and punching them. And he throws Captain America to the side. They're like, Spider-Man, calm your tits. He's like, okay, I'm sorry. Sometimes I get out of control. They're like, okay, here's what we want you to do. You should go capture the Hulk. The Hulk? Yeah, you know, we, we, wanna, we, want, we, we want the Hulk. So I was like, okay, um, Sure. He's in New York right now because over in Tales to Astonish, he's been in New York with Submariner. So, you know, I'll, I'll go find him. And they're like, great, go find the Hulk. And he swings off. And they're like, wait a second, don't hurt him. We forgot to tell him why we actually want the Hulk. Oh, well, he'll figure it out. So Spider-Man goes to J. Jonah Jameson because it's really hot in New York in August. And he's been web swinging. So he just gets thirsty. And he can't just, like, go to the store. So he goes to Jamie Jonah Jameson's uh, office and, like, gets one of those little cups of water from the water bottle thing. And... And um, um, what's his brain is there? The uh, the guy who used to be Foswell. Foswell's there because Reed is like throwing Foswell in the story. And then after um, Spider-Man gets his drink of water, he goes to the Gamma Ray Research Center and his spider sense goes off. It's like, ooh, must be a Hulk down there. So he dives down to the ground and is confronted by a whole bunch of chest hair attached to a large green Hulk. And he's like, ooh, chest hair. So um, uh, Spider-Man and Hulk start fighting and Spider-Man is completely useless 
but the Hulk happens to get blasted in the face by a bunch of gamma radiation because he pokes a hole in the wall of the center, and the gamma radiation turns him back to Bruce Banner, and Banner's like, I'm Bruce Banner. And Spider-Man's like, I know who you are. And he's like, yeah, um, kind of sucks being the Hulk. Oh no, I want to be the Hulk again. And Spider-Man's like, oh, this guy, this guy needs help, not, he doesn't need to be captured, he needs to be helped, so, um, let's see if I can tie him up. Well, no, he doesn't like that. He's getting mad. Okay, well, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to go lie to the Avengers. I couldn't find him. So he goes to the Avengers and lies and say he couldn't find the Hulk. Let's the Hulk go off and be all alone. And they're like, okay. And Spider-Man's like, sorry, I guess I can't be an Avenger. Bye. And they're like, but we wanted to help the Hulk. It's really too bad that he couldn't find him for us. And so it's all sad and ironic because Spider-Man wanted to help the Hulk, but he didn't want to capture the Hulk. And they wanted to capture the Hulk so they could help the Hulk. It's all sad. So Spider-Man's sitting at home going, I can't do anything right. My life is terrible. And Aunt May's going to die. The end. Boy, I love me the Avengers, but I sure don't love me these Avengers. This was um, an interesting mix. Yuck. What did you think about the uh, Avengers? Why all this bad decision making and weird arrogance? I don't know. It just bothered me. It's like... First of all, like, okay, we're going to let Spider-Man try out to be on our team. Never mind that he has made no indication that he cares about such a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was weird. I thought the whole, like, Chairman and Robert's Rules of Order thing that they did was, like, very old school Avengers. Like, they just don't do totally. that anymore. They don't, but I'm wondering if that's because Cap Sr., when it comes to the current lineup, but when Iron Man and Thor and Goliath are hanging out, Randomly, by the way, uh, they right. rotated again or something. And since Thor is off on his like you know prolonged serial adventure, this actually pushes his story down the road road a little bit in continuity. But um, yeah. but okay, so the way I read it was like Thor is the one who says we need a chairman, we need proper Avengers discipline, and Iron Man knows that's not how it goes anymore. So he's like, um, yeah, the <clears throat> next chairman up is uh, it's Captain America. Because um, he's basically the leader of the show now, so except Last Avengers, he he deferred to Goliath. So I don't know; it's probably all over the place again, or something. Yeah, when, when Goliath showed up, Captain America deferred to him, but then I think Goliath deferred right back. He's like, "No, no, no, yeah. y'all, y'all have got a smooth running ship here." Yeah, I think Goliath threw a hissy fit and left, or or got beat up by. Sons or of no, the serpent. I don't remember what happened. Bill Foster got beat up. That's what happened. Yeah. Anyway, the wasp. Uh, yeah, what the hell? Like, we had this in that one Astonish issue, Astonish 57 with Spider-Man. Like, she hated the spiders there, too. And it comes yeah. up here, and it's been so long since we read that. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, he hated her back. And now it's just her hating, so it's just right. more dumb. But They're not going to see each other again for a while. I think it's maybe a Marvel team-up issue mm. before they see each other again. And I, I just, I wonder if it's going to come back. I don't think it does, but I wonder. Um. It'd be one thing if it, she was just joking, but the look on her face, like she's double down serious. She is in earnest. And I have to wonder like why she thinks she's a wasp and why she doesn't like Spider-Man. <laughs> Cause she's got grafted antenna on her face or something. I don't know. I mean, that's entirely possible. Uh, 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 uh. So I guess like Iron Man and Thor come back when there's decisions to be made about rosters. Yeah, okay, Maybe. so obviously the out-of-the-box reason is they just want them in this annual to make it cool. Mm-hmm. But, like, in the box, like, why are Iron Man and Thor here today? Who? Yeah. Whose idea yeah. was that? 
at least they mention Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. But. Right, and they mentioned that they're just here for this special session. Maybe maybe it was Captain America called him up and said, hey, we're thinking about inviting Spider-Man. Do y'all want in on this decision? Mm-hmm. And so they came back. But I love how they're all like, you know, we don't know anything about Spider-Man. So let's ask for a reference from a guy we also know nothing about. Right? Like, like they how does that ca- help you? They could be in cahoots for all you know, whatever cahoots are. Yeah. Remember how much they knew about uh, Hawkeye and how much they knew about uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch? Like, That's true. That they were evil. Right. <laughs> so at least they don't know that about Spider-Man. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were actually terrorists. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you and know, associated Hawkeye was with. wanted by the police. Right. Yeah. None of this is true for Spider-Man. He is just a nope. guy that gets bad raps in the newspaper. Yep. Um, it does remind me, though, of Way Down the Road in Secret Invasion, or like after Secret in- – is it Secret Invasion? Yeah, after Secret Invasion, um, it's the era of Spider-Man where everybody has been made to forget who Spider-Man is unless he actually shows them. Uh-huh. And they're like, we uh, we just got done with this whole shape-shifting alien thing. We need to make sure we can trust each other. So Spider-Man, it's either lose the mask or lose the team. And Spider-Man decides oh. to take off his mask. And show them he's Peter Parker. Didn't that happen once before all that, too? Like in the 80s or something? Or was that this payroll thing? No, that payroll was Fantastic Four, right? They didn't pay, so he didn't want to be on the team. Right, right. But I believe the Avengers at some point demand that they know his secret identity and he can't do it. So he doesn't join. That may have been why he never joined in, in the 80s or early 90s. Yeah. They can't ask for that now because none of them know each other's secret identity at this point. So right. it's kind of, kind of not fair to ask, but... I really, really like page nine. Page the, nine is very cool. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, I wish I had it without all the copy on it. Just mm-hmm. them welcoming Spider-Man into the team. Although Keenan did bring up a very good point. Spider-Man is senior to every single one of these guys. <laughs> is he really? No. Especially Iron Man. Not and Thor. Um, and Amazing Fantasy 15 and Thor and Ant-Man all happened the same month. Oh, wow. I thought Thor and Iron Man were first. That's crazy. Well, Iron Man came later. um, But yeah, Thor and Ant-Man and uh, Spider-Man all happened the same month, and Spider-Man just got canceled right away. Well, if we're going by the fiction, then definitely not for Cap or Thor. Uh, Right, because Thor is an immortal god and Captain America is World War II. Right. But But still. I don't don't know, order-wise, the rest of it. Um, Page 8, he says, I must have been given my spider powers for a reason. And I just got to thinking, if superpowers were a thing, do you think that would be a common psychosis amongst people who are randomly given superpowers? Like, why do I have this? Why me? Um, Like therapy or something? Kind of like, you know, when the one person out of a group of people survives in a, in a war or something. It's like, why did I live? What am I, I mean, supposed to do? It probably is one of those things that you have to, like, you know, work through. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not one to be a big believer in, like, fateful no. missions. But... You make your own fate, right? You make your own reason for living. And I mean, he's already gone through the whole with great power. There must also come mm-hmm. great responsibility. So he knows he has a uh, superpowers for a reason. And the reason is that he's going to help people not, you know, die like uncle Ben. Yeah. It might've been cooler to like recap that thought mm-hmm. as he's making this decision to, to throw Aunt May under the bus potentially. Right. Right. Uh, 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 okay, so then there's like, oh, first of all, don't go after him and find him and bring him in if you haven't even figured out the freaking test yet. Like, that's sit down a and really big thing. Yeah, they should have had this entire conversation before they went and got him. 
But then also like, okay, Hawkeye, what was your test? Because I don't remember one. Yeah. Why don't like, you go get the Hulk? <laughs> Hawkeye? They, they couldn't get the Hulk themselves. So they're mm-hmm. asking Spider-Man to do something that they couldn't do as a test for membership that's never been given to any other new Avenger. Yeah. They didn't test Captain America. They didn't test Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. They're not nope. going to test the Vision. Nope. You know, it's just, and they're not going to test the Black Panther. Nope. But they tested Spider-Man, and it makes a story. But like we're ta- we're, we're we're expanding this from an in-universe perspective. Why would they want to test him? I do believe Thor picks a fight with Vision to see if he can fight. But that's the BL and end all the test, and it's like three panels. But right, and that's what Spider-Man is expecting. You know, who, who, do, yeah. I, who do I fight? Um, which is dumb because they all know that Spider-Man can fight. Hopefully, in theory, mm-hmm. at this point, uh, uh, yeah. We get um, all of not all of the supporting cast, but like the most biggest names of supporting cast. So we see Jonah, we see um, Aunt May, we see Foswell for a very little reason, but um, I I probably have done once before, but usually when I read this story, it's not in the context of Hulk. And so knowing that he's in New York right now mm-hmm. over in his own series is just kind of cool. It's kind of random, the fact that this is happening at the same time as that, but I liked that it worked out that way. I was reading this and the whole time kind of forgetting that it was a Spider-Man annual. Because it, like Aven- it seemed like an Avengers annual. Mm-hmm. But then you get to like page eight where it's about him wondering if he should join. And then we get past the Avengers again. And now it's back to his point of view and his supporting cast. And as soon as you see Jonah, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a Spider-Man book. I this forgot. is a Spider-Man story. It's but it is Avengers kind of Avengers-y. Story. And I think people were wanting an Avengers annual. So maybe it's kind of like the Doctor Strange annual last year. It's mm-hmm. like... We're going to use Spider-Man to spotlight other people. Shoot, every annual's been like that, because the first annual, like, guest starred the entire Marvel Universe. Well, he's the first uh, Batman, or Wolverine, or whatever you want to do, you know? Yeah. Let's put Spider-Man in with a bunch of people, and then maybe we'll they'll sell that other guy if Spider-Man's in it. I'm trying to think of next year's annual. Next year's annual is the Torch. So it's another group up, but the Torch doesn't really need him for sales. So I loved I loved all this like Spidey Hulk fight slash Spidey sympathy for Bruce Banner stuff. That was cool. Yes, yes, and it, it always reminds me of the whenever this happens in the Ultimate Universe because mm-hmm. there is a very similar scene between Spider Man and Ultimate Hulk slash Bruce Banner. He's got him cornered in an alley, and the Hulk de Hulks, and he and Bruce Banner have this conversation. But mm-hmm. in the Ultimate Universe, that's when Ross shows up with tanks and Banner turns back into the Hulk to fight them off. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Just the one of the each of these stories when I read it always reminds me of the other one. It's like that's the most dialogue we've got from Bruce Banner in quite some time, too. So I was thinking the same thing. That he's a person in this. Yeah. Um, like the whole agony he's talking about with. You know, turning into the Hulk and how it's always hazy. Like, we haven't had any of these thoughts given Mm -hmm. voice in years. Forever. Yeah, forever. Uh, And then their Avengers are like, oh, well, we just wanted to help him. But let me find that story. They know he's in New York. Spider-Man failed. So where's the story where the rest of them go, okay, we'll take care of it? Because they don't. It's also a little bit fun, funny irony that the only reason Hulk is in New York is because he was looking for the Avengers. Uh, That's right. (laughs) He's like, they're he, my friends. He basically remembers them as friends for some reason. Right. It's that hazy Hulk memory. How are they going to help him, too? I want to know. But anyway, they want him to, they just want him on the team for his strength. That was the last time they talked about the Hulk. Yeah, they haven't. Yeah, yeah. Because 
Thor and Iron Man have left the team. Now you need the Hulk back on the team. Now it looks like they actually want to help the Hulk, but that has also never been given voice before. Well, that's not true. It was given voice by um, Giant Man. So now that Goliath is back on the team, maybe he's pushing for that. Okay. I'm just totally making that up because it wasn't on the page. But Well, he's a biochemist, so that makes sense that he would like, you know, too. have but, a professional investment. But that's when they crossed over is because Giant Man felt guilty for the way they treated Hulk. And he went after him. Um, and here he is again. Because Cap and and the kooky quartet wouldn't care about the Hulk, really. Nope. Nope, they well, didn't. They tried like once and then they gave up. Yeah, but they don't have a history with him, really. You know, one thing that's never mentioned here, but it's just quietly in the background as part of the Avengers storyline is that uh, Goliath never shrinks. He's 10 feet tall the yeah. entire time. Yes, he is. At least that's consistent. Yeah. I mean, you read this by itself and you figure he's just, you know, he's big because he's Goliath. That's what he does. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he can't shrink right now. Well, guess what else is in this issue? Uh, yeah, there's a fun story. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it's not the Sinister Six level of story, but I liked it a heck of a lot more than the Doctor Strange one. Um the rest of this annual, we are past the era of special features in these annuals. Ooh. They're just kind of boring in their reprints. Mm. So if you didn't catch the Octo Octopus 2 parter from issues 11 and 12, where um, Betty Brant goes off to uh, get her brother out of um, uh, uh, gambling debts, and mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Octopus goes after her, and uh, she and her brother almost make out a couple times, uh, <laughs> then her brother lover dies. Um, so that's here. And then also they go back to New York. Betty Brant gets a new haircut and Peter Parker tries to go after Dr. Octopus when he has the flu. And so Octopus ends up unmasking him in front of Betty and Jonah and everyone, um, at the, uh, um, at Coney Island. So, so those if you are here. didn't read those, don't read them in this because it's probably just as expensive to buy this issue as it would be. <laughs> so find a better reprint, cheaper. All right. Actually, there's also some production issues with this one. The color is all out of a line in a lot of pages, uh, which probably happened on a lot of issues since those things are mechanical. I wonder who like decides what to reprint because this was not the first Doctor Octopus. They did the first one, I think, in a previous annual. I think okay. they did the first Doctor Octopus and the Chameleon in a previous annual. Okay. Well, it's just like, oh, that's a popular villain. Let's just throw him in there, I guess. Anyway. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Fantastic Four, King Size Special, number four. Ooh. So all new, the sensation. I'm not going to read that. Okay, the inside has that same uh, black and white-like layout thing. And, you know, John read the last one, so it's kind of going to be the same one. I'm going to skip it. And I'm going to go from the ashes of the past comes a mind-staggering minutes. The Torch That Was, featuring Wyatt Wingfoot, the Mad Thinker, Lockjaw, the fabulous Fantastic Four, the amazing Android, and the electrifying entity known as Quasimodo. Dun-dun-dun. Conceived and created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Scenarist and illustrator. Scenarist? What does that mean? Like he did zero work on this? Inked and lettered by Joe Sinnott. Delineator and San Rosen calligrapher recited and ignited by Irving Forbush, part time non entity. I thought it said party time. Excellent for a second there. Um, <laughs> Irving Forbush, party time. Party time. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So, speaking of party time, three out of the four Fantastic Four are not really having much of a party. They're just sitting around drinking tea and answering fan letters. The thing is lamenting that the Human Torch gets all the fan letters and he doesn't even get Yancey Street letters anymore. Uh, speaking of Human Torch, though, all of a sudden there's a big flashy light 
and everybody jumps up onto the defense. But no, it's okay. It's just Lockjaw. And in tow with Lockjaw is Johnny Storm and Wyatt Wingfoot. And Reed's like, whoa, that's crazy. And so they recap what just recently happened, which is that, you know, they were trying to get into the Inhumans thing and they couldn't figure it out, but they did come across Lockjaw. And when Johnny asked him, I guess, to go into the Inhumans thing, Lockjaw did his own thing and brought him home, which is here. So they're not exactly sure how to control the doggy, but they do know that he can jump planes of existence or something. So they try and keep him around by feeding him, but he disappears anyway. Um, Anyway, we cut to everybody's favorite Fantastic Four villain, the Thinker. Mm. And he's hanging around thinking, oh, but he has this, he likes androids, and he made that one android that one. He found the original android, Jim Hammond, Human Torch. Jim has no memory other than his very, very Marvel Comics number one beginnings origin that we have covered on the show. So they recap that where, you know, he was made by a scientist and if he was exposed to air, flames would ignite. So they all, all the fellow scientists forced him to bury Jim in the cement, but there was a crack and the air got in and he was free. And that's as far as they go. They don't do the rest of that bonker story, but that's all Jim can remember. Mad Thinker's like, yeah, you belong to me. And don't you forget it. Look, see, you can even be exposed to air and not catch on fire anymore. That's totally something I did. You didn't (laughs) solve that problem years ago. Um, Also, I have this thing that will kill you if you don't obey me. So go kill the Human Torch. Okay. So meanwhile, we cut to the Human Torch who has left the building and he's decided to go find somewhere in the middle of nowhere to test some other ideas on how to get into that inhumans, you know, past that inhumans defense. What he's going to do is maybe slowly go near Nova and see if that will help, like, burn through it. But he's not sure he can control that. So he goes in the middle of nowhere to not kill anybody. And as he's doing that, he's attacked by the original Human Torch. And they get into a fiery, fighty fight fight. So fire on fire, all their environment around them starts melting like lava because they're both so hot they end up underground at some point and they both lose their flame and they start punching each other. But Jim Hammond is a robot, so he punches better and doesn't get hurt as much. Um, Human Torch, I'm sorry, I can't just say Human Torch. Johnny keeps asking him, why are you doing this? And he's like, uh, because I think I belong to the thinker. But also, he's got this thing that's going to kill me if I don't do what he says. And it cuts back to what that thing is. The thinker has made a machine, the quasi-motivational destruct organ and at some point he made the mistake of letting it be named quasimodo and that somehow ignited like the spark of life in this really intelligent machine and the spark of life like took the form of this really ugly weird pixelated face quasimodo style you know right on the nose um and quasimodo wants life he wants to be free of this machine and his you know stationary life he's like master i actually i I am, I feel, I'm, I'm more than you think I am. I, can you give me a body? And it's like silence, slave, and thinker like tortures him with pain and stuff, which isn't very nice. Anyway, back to the fighting. There's more flamey fight fights. But then suddenly the other Fantastic Four members are there and Wyatt Wingcoat, although I guess he is just a Fantastic Four member now. I don't know. But anyway, they break it up. Turns out Lockjaw came back and just randomly brought them there because nobody can figure out how to control Lockjaw. 
Um, and then as they're talking about, you know, what's going on and the original Human Torch is like, yeah, the thinker, it's all – he's behind all this. Lockjaw <laughs> decides, oh, that's where you want to go and he takes them all to the thinker. So they show up and the first thing the thinker does is kill the Human Torch. So he presses a button and that makes Quasimodo zap something and the Human Torch deflames and depowers and goes unconscious. Uh, the thinker jumps into some weird scuba machine thing and soaps away bubbles away i don't know splishes away and they can't seem to catch him because you know johnny can't do water or nobody else can fly they lament that jim hammond was finally discovered only to be deactivated again uh lock decides to start teleporting again so johnny and wyatt jump on in hopes that he'll take them to the inhumans um and then we're left with quasimodo all by himself screaming for his master as slowly, 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 his mind fades into nothingness. The end. This is a shortened story, just by a little bit. Is it? It's 19 pages in a time mm. when usually Fantastic Four is like 21, 22 pages. Huh. It's just a little bit odd for it being a um, for being an annual that it's actually shorter. Um, yeah. The. Uh, the Spider-Man story was 21 pages, which was standard. But anyways, be that as it may, um, what did you think huh. of this? Huh. I think I was surprised to see Jim Hammond, because that's not how I remember Jim Hammond coming back. But How do you remember Jim Hammond coming back? Like, not till West Coast Avengers in, like, the 90s or late 80s or something like that. So, huh. So I think That doesn't mean that- it's not the same guy, though. I don't know. Yeah, it's the same guy. And I think now that he's been found, his body, like, lies on a slab for a really mm. long time and, like, plots spit out of it. Okay. Um, Something to do with the vision, I know, at some point. It's all very convoluted. And Wonder Man is also in there somewhere, I think. Wonder Man. Well, Wonder Man. Oh, no. The vision has Wonder Man's mental graph and the Human Torch's Body. Design or, or something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But the, I don't know if he was supposed to have the actual body, but then they retcon that. Oh, my gosh. We can't even get into all that. My point is, I was surprised to see Jim Hammond this early. I thought it was a later deal. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, it was kind of fun to see him and see the Human Torches fighting. But at the same time, he didn't really do much, I Yeah, guess. and it, it almost felt like somebody read Marvel Comics number one, maybe – only in like the fantasy masterpieces reprint, assuming that there was one, but like didn't read any other Human Torch, but just liked the idea <laughs> of using the Human Torch. They listened to our one episode that we did recover. Yeah, the first one. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Um, of course, Kirby was around back then, but he didn't work on the torch. He was only on Cap. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Splash Page, Wyatt yeah. Wingfoot, the Mad Thinker, Lockjaw. The Fabulous Fantastic Four, The Amazing Android, and Quasimodo. Oh, there's no Amazing Android. Yeah, Thinker has always had his awesome Android with him, and he's not here. And the internet told me that was, you know, a sly reference to the the new Human Torch getting revived, that he's the Android. I'm like, I'll buy that as a, as like, you know, a a no prize, but I would be hesitant to accept that. He does mention him, but he's not around. Right. So they, and I think they just forgot. I think they did forget, but I looked him up because he wasn't here, and turns out he's actually going to be gone for a long time. Oh, okay. I didn't even realize it when we last saw him, so I just wanted to mention it here. 
um, that we have seen the last of the android who can mimic super uh, heroes' powers, unless you go read Justice League of America and find an Amazo story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that the plot carries on from Fantastic Four, because oftentimes these king size specials are sort of standalone. This is the first one, I think, that really directly fits into the monthly continuity. Mm-hmm. They have, I feel like they haven't done that at all before. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. Uh, we talked about last issue because last issue is when they first decided to start following Lockjaw around. Because mm-hmm. um, Johnny then's like, if we can find some way to control that power. And I was like, well, next time we see them, they're going to already be doing it. <laughs> so, You know what it is about Hammond as I'm scrolling through here, going through notes that I didn't write down. Like page four, he's just there and the thinker found him. Mm-hmm. But it's like, wouldn't you have liked to see a couple of those pages on where he's been? How he got there? Yeah. Definitely. Something. Yeah. That's Has he been in a odd. closet, like a warehouse? Yeah. I mean, and how'd that happen? I would love to see a whatever happened to the original Human Torch kind of story that links that continuity there, with this. That has to exist, I imagine, at this point. I bet you if we went to Chronology Project where they put like all of their different, uh, you know, flashback yeah. sequences in chronological order, it might show that I might do that before we leave today. I mean, on that on that note, like we never really got how Submariner became a mindless or you know a memoryless, amnesiac, homeless guy either. So true. There must be, there must be connecting points somehow. At least we did get what Namor was doing before, you know, when mm-hmm. Torch found him. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my history wrong. I was totally expecting a certain announcement from Reed and Sue this issue that I guess comes in the next annual. Ah, so we got another year before a bun's in the oven or something? Yeah, yeah. I thought it happened the very next annual after the wedding. It was wedding, pregnancy, birth. But evidently I am wrong. I like how Kirby draws Human Torch different than Human Torch. That was kind of cool. I was saying the same thing. The color scheme is different. The line work is different. And it does, it is reminiscent of his um, or you know original design. It's not the same, but it's reminiscent of his original design. That page nine is pretty spectacular, too. Big splash page of the two of them colliding into each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall Jim Hammond having fizzle power problems like Johnny Storm does, but maybe he did. I don't know. I don't remember that happening either. I'm not really sure that's what's happening here. He just depowered when Johnny did for no reason. Maybe he was just trying to give him a chance or something. I don't know. I don't either, but I do see... Okay, so after the 50s series... Human Torch comics, Submariner comics, Saga of the Human Torch, Captain America comics. Um, there is a three-part, maybe four-part Avengers story that mm. has him in it. Mm. That might answer the story of how his Golden Age era ended. Because it, okay. it's all it's listed right before Fantastic Four Annual Four. So around the era when they're doing all the giant size Avengers stories and like your quarterly giant size interlaces with your monthly regular comics, uh, 131 through 134 of Avengers and giant size three, they, um, they deal with uh, human torch. I mean, where's Toro, you know, Bucky died, but where's Toro? And we're going to, I mean, Toro spends most of his time in the modern era being dead. Are we we (laughs) going to get that story? Yeah. And if he's not dead right now, does he ever think to swing by Fantastic Four headquarters and be like, hey, I can turn on fire too? Right. If he's walking around New York right now, what, what's what's he doing? He's old, hopefully. So Quasimodo, okay. On the one hand, it's like, oh my God, quasi-motivational destruct Oregon. And they, of course, his face 
you know, when he created one is like this ugly Quasimodo face. But outside of that, I kind of like the horror of him. Like and he's his this, ending is really creepy. That is also true. But like, yeah, the whole thing, like he's just like this computer that's self-aware but stuck. Basically. Right. And he's and the leader. By, le- the leader does not care. And he, the 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 thinker. Real name? The thinker. Yeah, he doesn't care, and he could help him because he can make androids because that's his thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or one of his things. So he's just being a jerky jerk. I do feel like uh, Quasimodo is a prelude to Arnim Zola as far as a visual oh, creative thing yes, from Kirby. Absolutely. In fact, MCU Arnim Zola bears a lot of resemblance to Quasimodo. Wow. They might as well just call him Quasimodo. Yeah. Except his name's Arnim Zola. Okay, so just, yeah. to, just to end the end of the discussion, uh, or put a pin rather in the discussion with um, Torch Continuity, other than that Avengers story, he <laughs> is off the table until Avengers West Coast. So okay. they don't do a lot with him until that West Coast storyline. I wonder if that Avengers story involves the Vision at all, because I'm pretty sure they're somehow linked. But I, don't I know. think so. I think that was when Steve Englehart or Roy Thomas was doing just a whole bunch of like spinning continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what was going on there. I, I've read that part. I just don't remember exactly. Okay, I'm so sure we're gonna get that? letters. That's that. Got two more though. Yeah. What um What else is in this book? Oh, Fantastic Four twenty five and Hulk I don't know the thing. other one. I can't remember the other one. Oh, the second part of that. 26. 26, yeah. Boy, does the art look different, doesn't it? Yeah. We talked about it at the time, how the art looked different in that story. But the Hulk looks really different. But even like the way he drew Thing back then, mm-hmm. he's, he's obviously evolved. All right. Speaking of the Hulk, or speaking is he a of, Thing? Speaking of the Hulk, or a Submariner. Tales to Astonish 85. Mm-hmm. And we forgot to say, because we're bad podcasters, but all of these comics were released... August 2nd, 1966. Right. Okay. So Tales to Astonish, 85, has two stories. The first is Prince Namor, the Submariner, and One Shall Die. This is, of course, a serial adventure, and we pick up thinking his deadly power blast has destroyed Prince Namor. Warlord Krang triumphantly rockets away without a backward glance, unaware that the shock of Krang's attack has merely served to return the Submariner's memory to him once again. Imperius Rex, script written by Stan Lee, drawings penciled by Gene Colan, inking rendered by Bill Everett, panels lettered by Artie Simic, confusion compounded by Irving Forbush. Okay. <laughs> so Namor watches his enemy and would be wife fly away he's like poo on them i'm gonna go down to the water get all my strength back and number one of the secret empire is like why isn't he responding namor is supposed to go fight the hulk for me and he's supposed to get revenge on the hulk for me because i'm mad at the hulk for messing up my secret empire and i'm pretty sure i just missed the memo because i'm totally wrong on my plots but um prince namor realizes that there's this voice coming out of his necklace he's like why am i wearing this so he just crushes it and throws it away. And number one's like, hello. Hello, is this thing on? And he sees the Hulk um, outside his building. And the Hulk is, um, he, he turns on like a, a sound thing to, um, is he trying to drive away the Hulk or to make Namor back under his power? He's trying to torture Namor into doing what he wants. Okay. So he sends out this ultra frequency thing to make Namor. Instead, Namor just kind of goes crazy and starts wrecking the roller coaster at Coney Island. 
and um, he keeps on holding his head because he has a headache. And he's like, wait a second, what's this fish in my ear? And he pulls out a fish, a babel fish, and it's making all this noise. And it's really the Secret Empire's, you know, doohickey. And he crushes that, too. And Secret Empire guy's like, oh, no. Oh, no, I can't do anything to, the, to, to Namor anymore. And Namor's like, whew, the pain is gone. I have my memory. I can, like, go back to my storyline and find my destiny in the ocean. And so Hulk starts, you know, rampaging through the town again. And he's climbing a, um, a building. Uh, Secret Empire's like, okay, Hulk's here. I've got it. I want to set this bomb off and I want to get out of here. Okay. Open the door, close the door. Oh no. I caught my robe in the door and the door is locked and the bombs get- it goes off. The bomb fatoons. <laughs> Secret Ooh. empire guy totally dies. Number one is dead. Uh, the bomb blasts right the Hulk's face, but doesn't hurt him because he's the flipping Hulk. So the cops are like, who's this guy in this red robe in this wreckage? I don't know. His face is beyond recognition. And we will never know who number one was because it doesn't even begin to matter. (laughs) But a mysterious hand in a mysterious place crosses AIM and Secret Empire off a list. They have served their purpose. Soon it will be time for Hydra to live again. And, um... Krang and Dorma are chilling out in the ocean and Krang's like, all right, um, we're going to toy with the human race and make them call me king. Next issue, Krang versus mankind. Yep. So I don't know if they were trying for drama, but it just made me laugh. And I'm thinking like, I'm hoping they just made him comical on purpose because it was really funny. Yeah, uh, it's definitely not. (laughs) It's definitely not like a moving moment when he dies. Like, if not even just death, if you think about his entire career, like you pointed out, like the Hulk never had anything to do with anything. Uh-huh. So he's obsessed about him for no reason. He loses control of Namor like instantly. Uh, he thinks the Hulk is attacking him, but really it's just coincidence that the Hulk is just trying to get away from cops. Mm-hmm. And then he kills himself. It's kind of hilarious. And he was number one. Well, the thing is, is that like, it's obvious that the writers also got their wires crossed because the narration says that we learned about all of this that he's saying about the Hulk destroying the Secret Empire. We learned about it in previous issues. And I'm like, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. We learned about him thinking that, but we have mm-hmm. never actually seen it. We never saw number one with the Secret Empire. He was always no, on just, an errand. <laughs> I guess his errand was to kill the Hulk for all the slights he did or something. <laughs> Um, Atlantis is super patriarchal, like even more than us. It comes out on page two. He's like, uh, with Namor gone, the crown of Atlantis will be mine forever. Though we not to prevent our marriage. Answer me, woman. I command you to speak. She's like, Namor dead. It, it, it can't be. And he's like, enough from this moment. You'll never mention his name again. That's the will of your master. And like, Obviously, Krang is a jerk, but I don't hmm. think he's actually speaking outside of his cultural norms here. Maybe. I do wonder why she goes, hey, remember how I was going to only marry you if you spared Submariner's life and now he's dead? See ya. She should. She should. But then again, maybe she can't overpower him or she feels obligated to. I don't know. It's not like he's second in line. Who is second in line if Namor dies? You know, he doesn't have sons. Right. Or cousins yet that we he- know of. Uh, yeah, we will meet um, a sort of extended family member soon, but I don't think he's... I don't know if we ever have, like, a next in line for the throne established. Well, that would go towards the 
patriarchal, patriarchal part because if he, we know he does have a sister, or is it a cousin and a niece or a sister and a niece? I don't know. Namora and Namorita, right? Mm-hmm. However, they're related. Do they ever get to run Atlantis? Is that even an option for them? Uh, I don't even know. We don't even know. I don't know if that's ever happened. But it's hard to go just by Crane because he is a jerky jerkhead. But we haven't seen any evidence that they have any power either. So Hulk is here. So he's kind of like, you know, just all over New York right now. He's in his own strip, but he's also in a, you know, and the stuff that he's doing in this, it doesn't really matter where it happens. Unlike last issue, it doesn't really matter what happens in relation to his own story. It can be in between pages or not. So do you think the Spider-Man thing happened in between these two, or do you think it's happening later? In my head, it happens like that happens, and then this, and then the Hulk story. Yeah, that seems easier. Mm-hmm. Um, Namor complains about headaches. Apparently, he never gets them, so I guess he's like Picard in the next generation. <laughs> he's superior to us. He doesn't get weak, lame headaches. That said, when I have giant metal things in my ears, I can sense it. He apparently can't, so I'm superior to him in that way. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Who do you think that hand is at the end? Hydra is all a I new, know. A new Supreme Hydra? I guess. Whoever gets control of the chalkboard. Right. It's like, um... <laughs> <laughs> that is some major tech they got going on right there. It's like in Booster Gold before leading up to Flashpoint or in Lost. Like, anytime you have a chalkboard full of crazy and stuff getting crossed out on lists, it's like, oh, okay. We got plans or going the, on here. The original Golden Age Red Skull member, they find him and it's like... General whatever, Captain America, Bucky, who's next? You know what's annoying, (laughs) though, is the chalk guy wrote all in capital letters, but then he dotted both eyes. Is he just trying to be cutesy? It's weird. I think he was. Yeah. Hydra is cutesy when it comes to font. Um, It's too soon to return to Atlantis. We shall wait here until the news of Namor's death has reached every corner of our empire, until all acknowledge Krang as Lord of the Realm. And while we're waiting, we're going to toy with the human race and make them call me king. I'm like, okay, that's a weird flex, Krang, but, you know, whatever makes you happy. Doubly so, because they literally just revolted against him. So why does he think they're going to welcome him back? You know, they've learned their lesson. Krang is living in a delusional land. Very, very much so. And she should just bonk him on the head with a vase and move on. But anyway. So the weird thing about the um, number one is that not only is he like completely mistaken about the Hulk, but like we never see him again. He is really dead. We don't really see much Secret Empire again, if I recall what we looked up last time. There's not that Mm -hmm. many instances of them. I decided who he is, though. Okay. I decided that he was one of the scientists Way back in the Scientist Club in the first Henry Pym story, one of those who told Pym to stick to real science. <gasps> we we do have clues who he is, but it's such generic clues. I forgot about that. He's the same guy as those other 20 dudes in uh, previous issues that just want notoriety for their awesomeness. Right. Their awesome science-ness. He is a science guy. He did say that. So he saw Pym get famous. Mm-hmm. And he was sad that he never got famous because he was doing real science. So he decided to start the secret empire. Maybe he had, uh, you know, a multi-headed sea creature helping him out. I don't know. But he mm-hmm. decides to start the secret empire and take over the world with his science. And it all goes bad. Okay. So outside of number one being the worst, tell me how the rest of secret empire is any better. Like what was their thing? Because I can't even tell you what it was. Oh, they were going to steal a missile and they used boomerang. Mm-hmm. That's so all we saw goal? them do. What was their goal? 
to take over the world. World domination, I guess. And then freaking Gabe, Gabe took out. Jones took all of them out. Yeah, so they're horrible. <laughs> or Gabe this is awesome. Re- this reminds me, it's not exactly, but like there was back when Peter David was writing X Factor, mm-hmm. there was a subplot of a guy who kept like talking about how he was going to destroy the team and you'd see him working on things to get bigger and better and then ultimately he blows up and the team never meets him and it was like a joke that's this guy gotcha that's the first part of the first first version of that guy (laughs) Hmm. like hulk has no idea who the secret empire is should we go on to hulk with the missile and the monster all right Like a beast at bay, the rampaging Hulk finds himself alone in the concrete canyons of New York, hunted, hounded, beset by a panicky populace wherever he turns. Almost everyone else has taken a whack at penciling old Greenskin's adventures, so we thought it was high time we coaxed one of our most famous Marvel alumni to add his towering talents to our ever-growing ranks of artistic Hulkophiles. We have a hunch you're going to like the results, so script is by Stan Lee, and pencils are by... John Buscema. What, what? Inks, John Tartaglioni, lettering, Ray Holloway, Hulk's pants pressing, Irving Forbush. So they make a big deal about John Buscema, which is pretty great because this is his first time here. But what's crazy to me is that they say that they're bringing him out of comics retirement. I Uh, had no idea. He had already worked for Marvel for over a decade. And I don't know if that's a retirement because he, when I looked it up, wasn't he still working for Marvel? When this uh, well, he was he was out for a bet- for most of another decade. One of the last stories he did was for issue two of Tales to Astonish. So that's the thing; he wasn't doing superhero stuff. He was yeah. doing all that other stuff. In but it's superhero. been a while since he did comics. So we're and now, of course, is the beginning of what you know, I would consider one of the most storied superhero art careers we get. He is so cool. It's like uh, back in the day when there was no internet and you wanted to be a comic book artist, the Holy Bible was how to draw comics the Marvel way, mm-hmm. which was penned by Stan Lee and John Buscema. So all the art that was new for that book was John Buscema, and we all just drooled over it, uh, not to mention he had a great run with Roger Stern on Avengers, and he's like the definitive Conan artist. Notoriously, he doesn't like superheroes, uh, mm-hmm. so they probably really had to like twist his arm to do this stuff. Um but then also, just as a side note, his younger brother ends up being arguably the most definitive Hulk artist of all time, if you want to argue that, which I might. And one of my favorite Spider-Man artists. And that too, yeah. Fantastic Spider-Man artist. So, um, yeah, I do, cool. I do think it takes him just a little bit of time to get his like naked chest anatomy down. His and style is not quite right in this, is it? Yeah, it's so he's going to find himself. But he when he does, it's amazing. Yeah. And it, it's not bad now. It's just a little no. bit off. No, you can see hints of where he's going to be, but mm-hmm. his Hulk is a little bonkers. Yeah. But yeah, he's top, not used to drawing it. this kind of stuff either yet. Right, right. So um, Hulk is, uh, you know, hulking through the streets and he's like, why is everybody running away from me? And the police are like, Hulk, you know, don't make me shoot you. He's like, fine. You know what? I'm leaving. And Hulk hulks away with his legs. He shoots off like a missile. And uh, Rick Jones is, you know, driving that one dude's car up to New York for him. And the guy's like, remember, Rick, don't look in the trunk. And so back in Cape Kennedy in Florida, um, tropical shirt dude who gave him the car is like, no one suspects that behind this innocent looking door 
is instant annihilation. So his car is going to get to New York exactly at H hour, the same moment when General Ross is going to give the order to launch the Orion missile. So this skeezy car dude is going to use his ultra wave scanner to, um, which is concealed beneath the car's floorboard to monitor every movement from afar. So whenever, whenever, you know, the timing is perfect, he can push his buttons, make everything happen. Okay. So meanwhile, at Cape Kennedy, they have relocated the Orion missile from the southwest to the southeast of the United States. Um, General Ross is here. His daughter is here. Uh, Glenn Talbot is here. Why is the Orion missile so important, Father? Because it's anti-missile proof. No other missile can destroy it once it's in flight. So basically, it's an anti-anti-missile missile. <laughs> I had fun with that one. <laughs> no one's going to missile our missile. Right, right. So um, the Secret Empire has tried to stop them. The Hulk tried to stop them. Boomerang tried to stop them. But now they're in Florida and nothing can stop them. They can shoot all they want. Because Florida. I'm sorry. Because Florida. Um, Hulk is still trying to figure out what to do with his life. He's in New York City. So like this story is taking place in two very separate locales. Um Hulk is stomping around New York City saying, why is everybody mad at me? Uh, they have launched planes at him. He's climbing buildings. He's falling off roofs. He's hitting streets and tearing things up. He's like, I'm so mad at everybody. Hulk strikes back. I'm going to tear up this car. The guy in the car is like, wait a second, Hulk. I'm Rick Jones. I'm your friend. I can help you. And Hulk's like, I have no clue who you are, but you want to help me? That's great. Fine. <laughs> Except that nothing can hurt me. Don't say, don't say you're going to save me from being hurt because nothing can hurt the Hulk. Um, and if you trick me, you're going to die. So Rick and the Hulk go and chill out. And Hulk's like, I just want to be left alone. Uh, meanwhile, skeezy auto dude has like attracted the attention of the law and the police come in and they're like, we got you here. It's like, no, no, no. I'm going to push my button. It's going to go. It's going to be great. He pushes the button and in New York City, in the trunk of that car that Rick and Hulk have been driving, the trunk pops open and a giant robot telescopes out of the trunk. And he's like, I'm a robot. He has all this, you know, crackling electrical energy around him. Hulk starts fighting it. He faplams it. He carams it. He flumes it to pieces. And um, let's see, the, the electrical energy of the robot has sent a signal to the Orion missile, pulled it off course, pulled it to New York City. And everyone back in missile control is like, New York City? And um, Hulk sees the missile coming and he's like, wait a second, that's a missile. Look, it's a missile. It's going to hit the city. Missile? And somewhere in that bestial, clouded brain, a dim spark of the intelligence that is Bruce Banner suddenly shines through. The Hulk jumps up, he catches the missile, and then doesn't know what to do with it because he turns into Bruce Banner and he's hanging on for his dear life. And that's where we leave it. And it's a great cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. I feel like this is exactly what would happen if a dog ever actually managed to catch a car. Apparently it's relaxing because it calmed him down enough to turn back, I guess. I guess, although that's not the first thing I think of when I think of hanging onto a missile. <laughs> well, it's easy for him, maybe. Right. It's that nice it's that nice rumbly noise, you know? It's like white noise for the Hulk. 
I don't know what to say though. Like, I guess it's cool. Like, uh, Rick and Hulk got together. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, Rick has been sort of floating along in the background, and it's been since before Hulk's trip to the future. Rick's been trying to catch up to him. Should I think? Has Rick actually caught up to the Hulk since he was with the Avengers? I think he has. I don't know. I can't remember. They certainly haven't had one-on-one time like this, though. Mm-mm. And they certainly haven't had any, like, Rick-Bruce bonding time or anything. No. We're definitely at the Hulk smash stage, man. This guy has no resemblance. Well, not no resemblance, but he's certainly not uh, 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 thinking all that much anymore. No, no. Very monosyllabic. And can't even remember Rick. He just occasionally gets glimpses in his mind of something from his other life and mm-hmm. acts on it by, like, you know, impulse. But Yeah. Um, the beginning of this story felt very odd before reading how the whole story played out because it's like this guy has something in Rick's trunk. It's going to New York, but it's scheduled for the Iran missile being launched in Florida, and I wasn't sure how all that was supposed to work out. Mm-hmm. Of course, by the time the end of the story comes around, it becomes pretty clear, but it's a weird setup. You have to kind of trust the story. I figured it'd just be like a bomb or something, but that was too easy. Instead, it's a robot that's designed solely to emit a signal to the missile, the anti-missile missile, so that the anti-missile missile turns on New York and blows it up. Well, it's an anti-anti-missile missile because it can't be anti-missiled. You're right. So that was a lot of effort on this guy's part with the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, and it makes you wonder what he's doing in his spare time, right, besides smoking cigars and wearing Hawaiian shirts. Maybe he works for Hydra. I don't know. Maybe he's only wearing a Hawaiian shirt because it's Florida, and that's what you do. Maybe he hasn't heard that the Secret Empire is over. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have a hold on to say on this one either. It was a fun (laughs) story. Um it's a nice start for John Buscema. The Hulk action looks great. Uh-huh. Even the Hulk detail, like we said earlier, is a little off. Um, and it's mostly in stuff like the shape of the musculature and some of the proportions occasionally. Uh, like the very first Hulk panel, he's just really top heavy and his legs are too short. Yeah. But by um, page five, he's looking pretty good. I, yeah, like when, yeah, I like when the Hulk is less defined and just more big, brutish, and thick, kind of. Mm-hmm. So he's pulling that off pretty good, I think. And actually, there's a really good panel on page six that like has the muscular definition, mm-hmm. almost like he was reading a, a sculpture. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's posing like that. What's that famous one of a uh, see the I guy with the heart. discus or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Looks just like it. Yep. All I know is comic art, people. Sorry. Anyway, Thor. Um, was that the whole? Was that both stories? That was both stories. Just kind of build through. Okay, I guess I'm on. Behold the Living Planet, Thor number 133. Uh, I already said, Behold the Living Planet. Accompanied by a humanoid recorder named Recorder, the mighty Thor leaves the world of the colonizers to enter the dreaded, totally mysterious black galaxy from whence no living being no living being has ever returned. And now prepare for wonderment beyond measure on the incredible pages that follow. Star-studded script, Stan Lee, planet-pounding penciling, Jack Kirby, real Rigelian rendering, Vince Coletta, lots of little lettering, Artie Sumek. Uh, that rhymed. Okay, so the ship lands and Thor and Recorder get out. And Recorder does all these observations about how like, the planet is not just terrestrial. It is not just a thing to live on. It actually is living. All this stuff is living. And by the way, there's this beautiful double-page spread of like living brain, artery kind of planet-looking awesome stuff. 
Um, and just then, to confirm what Recorder is saying is true, Ego creates another face. This time, instead of a giant planet-sized face, it's just a slightly bigger than Thor face. And it says, yes, I am Ego. I can create faces. This entire planet is me. And I can create anything on it. And I'm more powerful than all of you. And Thor's like, well, not me. Behold, I will read your brain. And I will create a world that's kind of like a world that I found in your brain. So he does. It sort of looks Asgardian. And he takes on the form of like a humanoid with a horse. And he offers them horses. And they kind of trot around. Meanwhile, we cut to Jane. Remember how she was like flying with Egghead on a plane? Because the Rigelian lady told her to. And she was compelled. Well, it wasn't Egghead. It was a guy named Mr. Porgia. And Mr. Porgia offered to take her to dinner wherever they landed. In Europe, I guess. Mountain Village in Europe. And she agreed. And he's telling her about him and his partner, whose name is Tagar. And they're looking for the coolest, brightest, neatest person. And she's like, oh, to do what? But before he answers, Tagar shows up. And he's like even bigger than Porgia and kind of scarier and hairy. And he's got a monocle, so you know he's a bad guy. And he's like, is this the one? Is this who we seek? And Portia's like, well, I haven't really explained it or asked her yet. No, it doesn't matter. We're going to take her. She's like, well, I'm not a – we need someone who can uh, uh, teach our village or something. And she's like, but I'm not a teacher. I'm a nurse. He's like, even better. We're going to steal you. And it like closes up on his face and it's all menacing. Put a pin in that for next adventure because we're back on Thor who's talking to the avatar of Ego – And Ego's like, so basically, I've been attacked. He's like, I've been living here a long time by myself. And I kind of decided, you know what would be cool? Is if I went out into the other galaxy and invaded it and took it over. So I was testing the waters by attacking local, you know, Rigelian ships that come too close to me. But now that you're here, let me see if I can beat you up. Um, And he does. And Recorder's like, yeah, but that's not really fair because you're an entire planet. But if you went out there with your avatars, you wouldn't be an entire planet. And and he goes like, yeah, that's true. So then he like takes – I don't know what it is. I don't know what he does. He takes like molecular – he uses Thor as the molecular model or so he says. And he creates these mm-hmm. weird purple machine or you know weird looking things. And those are the things that he's going to send out into the universe to take over. Um and, you know, I don't know. Then he's done with Thor and the recorder, so he tries to drown them in a tidal wave, but they jump into what's basically a skin pour, according to the recorder, and then they travel through the arteries, and then those weird purple monsters attack Thor, and even though they're based on his molecular whatever, he easily bests them all, and he and recorder continue to run. Meanwhile... What's-her-face, Tana Nile on Earth is at the police station from last issue. And she's like, yeah, I'm in charge of your world, I swear. And they're like, "Uh, I don't think so, lady. Take off that weird Halloween outfit. She's like, fine, I will show you. And she calls into her Dick Tracy watch and says, back to the planet, Rigel, increase the speed of the space lock and pull the Earth out of its orbit. And they they, they, they all uh, – uh, 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 Call back. Request denied. Planet Earth has been freed. And then they hang up on her and leave her hanging, basically. Because <laughs> I guess Thor made a deal. And, you know, so now planet is free. 
Anyway, back to Thor and his deal. He continues to fight uh, Ego. They're being pounded by Rock. He goes out of his way to save the recorder, even though recorder is just a robot and says, you don't have to save me. But Thor's like, no, you are my comrade. I will save you because I'm an awesome hero. And then he's like, okay, enough. I'm actually the god of thunder, of weather. And if I say things really loud and in a rhyme, I can create massive storm. And so he does that, and that trips out Ego. Uh, I don't know what it exactly does to him. But basically, Ego says, I've been bested. We are free of Ego, the deadly Ego. And Ego's like, dang, I've been bested. So my new strategy is to hole up in this black void and never come out because I don't ever want to feel defeat again. So goodbye, Thor and Recorder. I will never see you again. And Thor and Recorder fly away. And Thor says, I wonder what's going on on Earth. Next issue. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that like you have to read the narration to figure out what's even going on. It's, but evidently he caused like all of the elements to come together into one huge blast that right. like, blasts Ego enough for them to get free of Ego. And he goes like, I'm going to turn into a cocoon and never bother anybody again. Yeah, like you hurt me and I don't like pain, so I'm not going to bother with anybody anymore. I don't, yeah. I, this must be what pain feels like. That's pretty uh, fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to summarize because nothing's really happening, kind of, but also it was. I feel like we're in this place where Thor is just going to smack stuff around. <laughs> There's enough plot to explain what he's smacking and why, and there are little background plots and stuff to help support the story. Yeah. But there's not actually a lot of story around Thor you know, or like like Thor is like doing besides the smacking. He's the he's the video game character, uh-huh. and like all around him is like the exposition and the cutscenes. Yeah. And speaking of all around him, I really liked Recorder in this. Recorder's pretty great. Uh, I I I don't know. I've always found him a rather charming character. Yeah, just the way they have him talking and stuff seems pretty cool. What about that two page spread? Is this our first two page spread? We've had at least one other. So oh. they're super rare. But the one that I remember was in um, Fantastic Four Annual 1 when we had Namor on the throne of Atlantis. Oh, yeah. That was a good one, too. Yeah, but I honestly can't recall a single other one since then. Yeah, it was really cool. I liked Ego, and, the design and all that. It was neat. And for those who like to pay attention to this sort of thing, the the printing technology, they have not yet refined to where they can do the spread seamlessly mm-hmm. over the two pages. So you have you have a frame border between the two images, but the two images do come together. So it's technically, I guess, more of a diptych than a two-page spread, but it works. Mm-hmm. I am Ego, the largest, most powerful intelligence in all of infinite infinity. You are like dust unto my feet. Have a care, thou who art a living world. No matter thy size, tis Thor who faces thee. I don't know. I love his arrogance sometimes. He is so <laughs> arrogant. He is talking down a whole planet. <laughs> that made me laugh. And the planet doesn't even care. Because he just keeps on going, possessing powers without end. I have fashioned myself. He didn't even listen to Thor. Thou who art a living world. This kind of reminded me of Star Trek a little bit. like Star Trek Five. Just any Star Trek where they meet some omnipotent being. Right. That seems to happen a lot for some reason. Um, You didn't mention it in your recap, but there is a name drop in that scene with Porja, Tagar, and Jane. Yeah, I couldn't remember what they were after. Um, 
So they want her to come be their teacher, and she's saying, I don't know. And he's like, you don't realize what you're saying. By the genetic table of the high evolutionary. Oh, that's right. We must have your services and have them we shall. That surprised me. I didn't know he was that old. Yeah. And the high evolutionary story is going to give us another character who ties into a character that I also really love. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited because the first hints of all of that are coming very soon. Um, When is Thor ever going to get back to Jane, though? (sighs) It's amazing she's still in this comic. I guess maybe that's his next adventure in theory. Well, they keep on, like, going up, like, okay, so he showed her he was Thor in, like, 127-ish, mm-hmm. and then he gets called off and ends up helping Hercules, um, he comes back and she gets pulled off by Tana Nile, uh, she gets rid of Tana Nile, but has to go on an airplane, now she's getting pulled by the High Evolutionary, he's looking for her and, you know, has to go to the whole Rigel thing, so I, I, I know when he's going to find Jane. It's just it feels like it's been like, I don't know, this seesaw dance between them. It has. Ever since he revealed, they haven't been together. Mm-mm. So, which is weird because it's like you would think you'd want to see uh, the reaction to that, but we haven't got one. Ego turns into a person and says he wants to fight Thor person to person. And I'm reading this page thinking Ego's not sticking to his own rules. Mm-hmm. First, he says, I want to try to defeat you in this mortal form. But when Thor starts trash talking, he goes all, yeah, but I'm a whole big planet, remember? And I'm thinking, so which is it going to be, Ego? And then the recorder also points out the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, you are not true to your word. Yeah, I like that too. I don't know why, but I just like the way they made him talk. And I feel like that's too advanced for the 60s like it's a clever it's too clever for the 60s i don't the know the recorder the way he just says observation or you know analysis yeah or whatever i don't know like it is i could see that as doctor who now but not like i don't mm. know um the planet makes antibodies and then thor and the antibodies fight in um his like inner planet biology and for a short while it felt like the fantastic voyage movie Mm-hmm. Have you seen that movie? Uh, a little bit. I don't think I've, it's been a long time. It's the one where they go inside the human body. You know? Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the movie actually doesn't come out yet. It's it's out later this year, but it's still a few weeks away. Um, so they couldn't have seen it yet. So it may have been completely their own idea. But Isaac Asimov did write the novelization. And that was out six months before the movie, like the Star Wars novel was out six months before the movie. So mm. there's a possibility that we have some inspiration here yeah. that uh, Lee or Kirby read that book and um, wanted to pull some of those ideas in. Because there's a little bit of art here where it feels like they're going through a body. Oh, and they even say that. Like the hole they jump down is like a skin pore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're going through what are probably, uh, you know, blood vessels and they're being attacked by antibodies antibodies because they're germs yeah it's all very clever there's this full page spread it's pretty great looking it's Mm -hmm. this big it's if you've ever seen ants make a bridge out of ants it's like that they're climbing up on themselves and recorder and thor like lost in the tower of antibodies but what really got me was the caption at the bottom Mm -hmm. special marvel message since cameras are expressly forbidden anywhere in Ego's bioverse, King Kirby was forced to draw this inimitable illustration entirely from memory. Hence, if any slight inaccuracy should be noticed, we beg your kind indulgence. The old benign bullpen. And I was like, okay, that is just 
That is just funny. Because <laughs> someone's going to write in and say that's not what an artery looks like? Maybe. Maybe. Um, poor Tana. No poor world Tana. domination for you. She, go, she went nowhere. Right. <laughs> I assume we don't see her again. She is a character off and on. But I think this bit of storyline is done for now. I love that Thor saved Recorder. That made me happy. It almost made me verklempt even a little bit. Yeah. And it was cool. Uh, we don't know how long this Recorder has existed, but no one else has ever done anything for him that would yeah. make him feel gratitude. Poor robot. Yeah. Well, that's a robot's life. That's why they always try and take us over eventually. Eventually. Always Unless you're an Asimov robot. Treat your... No, even those. Half of those freaking iRobot stories were how come it's trying to take over. There must be a yeah. reason. It's a loophole Well, there is a the thing logic. at the end about how, like, the machines have been given so much responsibility for making so many decisions that the robots actually are running the planet. Right. Um, at the end, Ego says he will uh, hide away from other galaxies forever. And I'm like, forever, 20 issues, whichever <laughs> comes first. Yeah, I think he'll be back. He'll, he'll be back. But yeah, that's Thor. I always confuse Ego with Eon, but they're not the same thing. Oh. Eon is the Quasar planet right. guy, and Ego is the mean, facey planet guy. I feel like they should be linked. They might be related. I don't know. Maybe they're brother and brother. Uh, okay, we have another story, though. There's another story. Tales of Asgard, Home of the Mighty Norse Gods, Valhalla, it's called. Herokin. Herokin. Valiant leader of the Barbarian Hordes has been defeated in battle 20 issues ago by the mighty legions of Thor. And now the fatally wounded chieftain prepares for his final journey because, oh, no, you thought he died last story. He did not. It was two stories ago. He's still. I know it just seems like this is going on forever. But anyway, yeah, they dress him in full battle armor and give him his sword and they put him on the black horse that was from last story, the death horse. And as they're loading him up and taking him through the city, Hela and a bunch of Valkyries show up, much to uh, what's-his-face's uh, uh, wariness. Um, and she, like, escorts the horse and and Harrikin on the horse to as far as she can go. And it's like the edge of this cliff thing, and then only the Valkyries can continue. And the cliff has a bunch of clouds, and the clouds part, and there's golden... Uh, light and uh, pathways and Harrikin suddenly feels renewed and restored and there's all these people there to greet him who say come on in join the fight it's a 24-7 fight here it's the best and he's like yay I will fight too and he gallops on that death horse right into Valhalla and then we cut back to the warriors well the warriors too and Thor clinking because Volstag was hiding under the couch the whole time because of Hela. Right. The end. You know who I just realized Volstagg reminds me of? Hmm. The friar from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, absolutely. I feel like unless you, unless you take his drink, then the friar is pretty formidable. Yeah, it's true. I feel like Volstagg might be formidable under the right <sighs> provocation. I keep waiting for that to happen, because I was always under the impression he was. but I, I think not. he used to be. I'd like to see him be again, you know? Yeah. What a crazy way to mount a horse. That is... Really odd, and I don't understand. Is that supposed to be just his straight-up dead body? I feel like, yeah, he died. But he's That's talking. That's what they're doing here, but he's talking. Maybe he's just, like, no life to... I, I don't know. Maybe Kirby was under the impression he's dead, but then Stan threw words on him anyway. Oh, that seems very reasonable. 
Yeah, he totally looks dead. The entire time, he's all slumped on the saddle and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he weren't dead, that he could just climb on there himself. Um, but they have to, like, put him on there, and they've got this big old harness to do that with. So I don't have any page-by-page page things to say, so if you do, feel free, but I just have an overall I just have some commentaries on Hella, but go ahead. My overall observation is, wasn't this dude a bad guy recently? And if he uh, was... Why are they all like sad and mourned and celebrating him? And why does he get to go to heaven? But then I think, well, is he a bad guy or is he just trying to take over things that he didn't own? And that's very Odin. So isn't that a cool thing to be like? I don't know. Just because he definitely they was fought. their antagonist and he had the big yeah. wizard's eye. Yeah. But also, when you fight a battle, a lot of people die. Mm-hmm. So why is this guy getting all this special ceremony? Because he was the king. So if Odin died, he'd also get the special ceremony. Okay. But. You figure Hela's supposed to come for everyone, right? Well, I don't really know how that works at all. Like, is Hela involved in every death or just the ones that go to hell? Or is Hel even evil in Asgardian lore? Or is it just a place? And how is it different than Valhalla? I don't know. I don't know any of that. But, but speaking of Hela. Yeah, go ahead. I did think that maybe this is her first appearance. So I had to mm-hmm. go check. Mm-hmm. But we, no, we have seen her once before. I thought so. Way back in Journey into Mystery 102, 18-year-old Thor was determined to earn his magic hammer. Oh, yeah. So he hears that Baldur's sister Sif, or should I say Baldur's Sifter, <laughs> had been taken by the Storm Giants. And King Ruga says that Hela promised him immortality in exchange for Sif. So Thor goes to Hela and offers his own life in exchange and Hela lets them both go in honor of Thor's self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And that self-sacrifice is what earned Thor his hammer. So currently, she's not really so much bad yet. She's just associated with death. Right. She's creepy and no one likes her. But she doesn't get to go to Valhalla either. She's not allowed, apparently. Yeah. So I don't know if she's if Hela is her domain, so she doesn't get to go and... Is she like Moses? She can only look into the promised land? She's not allowed to go in? I don't know. I've never associated Valkyries with Hela, so it's kind of weird that they're escorting her around, or mm-hmm. she's escorting them around. Like, her existence here is weird. Like, it would make more sense that the Valkyries showed up and escorted the horse and the warrior to Valhalla, because that's their thing. Right. But her being there, it's like, I don't really know what her role is. I know in the MCU, or the Marvel Universe comics, like, she's evil, or generally evil, but she also is sitting there being evil as she presides over the underworld. Right. But I like in terms of the actual mythology, are these people are these people who rule quote unquote hell supposed to be devils, or do we just do that because our devil is a devil? And because we're scared of death. And because we're scared of death. I don't know. I don't know. Like even so, our devil sometimes is arguably not evil. He's just doing a job. Right. I say our devil like, you know, white Americans, not me personally, but Right, right. The yeah. Western Judeo Christian. All that, yeah. Um, just side note, similarly, we have also seen the Valkyrie maidens before. They looked nothing like this. They brought Thor his ha- his belt that one time. <sighs> oh, that's right. They look like angels. Right. But yeah, I don't have anything else for this. Shall we see what our expert has to say? I think he should tell us everything there is to know about Hela real quick. Um let's he- see if he does. Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Uh, is a worshiper of the Norse gods, and so he is our chosen Asgardian advisor, and he says we just keep going off the rails. <laughs> yeah. 
First, we had a horse come and signal who was near death. And now Hela is in charge of the Valkyries? Yeah. Not even close. See, even I knew that one. Yeah. In fact, the Valkyries take souls away from Hell. So she wouldn't like them being around at all. The quick view we get of Valhalla is very close, I suppose, since the warriors there battle all day and feast all night. I can see how it have hills around it. There is no mention of the hall, though, that that's what is actually named Valhalla. Oh, Valhalla. The hall is Valhalla. Oh, okay. Um, so that's heaven is having to fight all day? Gosh, I'm glad I'm not Norse. I think it's getting to fight all day, which I feel like was very Klingon. Yeah, totally. Sounds like a huge and, drag to me. I want to just watch TV and eat Doritos all day. <laughs> I, I think I have heard before that there's a lot of comparison between Klingon culture, like next generation level of Klingon culture, and mm-hmm. the um, Norse. Makes sense. Mythos. But yeah, so that's um, that's Thor 133, and that brings us to the end of our episode. Yay. Should I tell them what we're doing next week? Yes, you should. Next week, we are going to be doing the X-Men 25. Oh, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to read the X-Men. <laughs> Daredevil 21, Sergeant Fury 35, Tales of Suspense 83. Hey, no Sergeant Fury or no Fury at all on this episode. Wow. Not in this episode and no doubling up next episode. Nice. How'd that happen? I don't know. Strange Tales is really Strange Tales is the last thing of the month that we're going to cover. How odd! Yeah, X Men is like twenty five, and I well, first of all, I don't want to read X Men anymore, and second of all, it's twenty five, and I thought, oh, cool, kind of a pivotal number. But then you open the cover and it says featuring the menace of El Tigra, and I'm back to not wanting to read X Men anymore. <laughs> but you never know, Mike. Have a positive attitude. He could be the coolest character you've never heard of before. Ever. Or he could be an awful, awful stereotype <laughs> that got blocked from Mexico when they reprinted the series. Oh, no. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. We'll talk more about oh that next God. week. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> well, if you want to listen to past episodes of X-Men or other titles, you can go to makearsmarvel.com. You will find links to all the uh, social media, which at this point is just Facebook and mostly Twitter. Uh, You'll also find links to the RSS feed and to various popular podcasts. You can write us podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Every once in a while, we'll do a mailbag episode where we read what you say and respond. So get those in. We have uh, Twitter presences. You can follow me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. You can follow Michael on Twitter at Kaiser the Greatest. Actually, it's Kaiser the Great, but he's pretty great. Dang. The Greatest Um, beat me to it. Right. I also have some other podcasts out there. I do an Image Comics podcast. I do a Transformers podcast. Those are pinned on my Twitter, um, Return to Cybertron, and uh, all the pouches. And, um, yeah. So be here next week. And unless you have anything else, Mr. Mike. That's it. All right. Well, until next week, or until number one of the Secret Empire turns out to be the President of the United States of America, make ours marvel. marvel.